0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I am a cookbook author and longtime journalist. I am so excited about today's episode, which is one of my favorite types. It's jam-packed with actionable advice and information, but it's also just really fun and chatty since the guest is one of my real-life friends. I am so happy to welcome Phoebe Lapine to the pod. Phoebe is a food and health writer and gluten-free chef. She's written three books, including the recently published SIBO Made Simple, which is all about her gut health journey, which we definitely get into here. We talk a ton about gut health on this episode, including how to know what's wrong with your gut, what SIBO is, and how to know if you have it, why you shouldn't snack between meals, what people get wrong about the microbiome, misconceptions about the low FODMAP diet, easy, totally free gut fixes you can do right now, and a ton more. We also talk about Phoebe's take on wellness trends like kombucha, celery juice, bone broth, and more, the top three weird wellness things that have made the biggest difference in her overall health, her best advice for partners helping their loved ones through health challenges, her best tips for cultivating a creative career, including a really frank discussion on some of the downsides and the financial elements. It's not only a must-listen episode if you have any gut health issues, but just a fun one if you want to up-level your health, creativity, or relationships. Phoebe and I would both love to hear from you as you listen, so screenshot and tag us with any reactions or thoughts. I'm at Liz Moody, and she is at Phoebe Lapine on Instagram. I cannot wait to hear what you think. I think you are going to be obsessed with this one. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Well, Phoebe, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm so excited to have you on.
1: I'm so thrilled to be here. It's, you know, been something I've been looking forward to for many years.
0: For your whole life, really. I feel like your whole life brought you to this moment. (laughs) My favorite interviews are always people that I know and am friends with in real life because I feel like I have dirt, not dirt, like I have information on you from like long car rides, that's like conversations. Oh and so I get to bring that <laughs> yeah. in instead of having to like do all my research and stuff. been right. researching for years.
1: You have, yeah. Those five-hour car rides. <laughs> we all were
0: right. There. So <laughs> <laughs> let's start with gut health because that's what your most recent book is about. That's the thing that I'm constantly, I've interviewed so many doctors and gut health experts, and I'm constantly surprised at how good you are at knowing stuff that even they don't know, maybe because you've interviewed so many of them for your own podcasts, your own work, and then also really translating that into layman's information. So let's go with SIBO and maybe your general gut health journey. Just kind of walk us through that for you.
1: Sure. Well, my journey has been long. Uh, (laughs) And thank you for those kind words. I don't know more than those doctors, but I hope that for the layman, I can digest it a little bit better. Um, So I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disease when I was 22. And that was kind of around when my gut started to malfunction, I would say. And of course, the Hashimoto's itself was met with all these other symptoms. And I kind of spent years after the diagnosis, like slowly working my way down to my rock bottom um, by going unmedicated and living a a wild life of a young 20-something in New York City um, and being super mature. So eventually I was in a state where I would basically be curled up in the fetal position every time I ate. Um, It was also at the time that I was like trying to make it as like a young food professional and catering and private chefing and I don't know, trying to write for like big food magazines. And so I was just so terrified of having to take anything out of my diet. Um, But eventually I kind of got on the holistic bandwagon, saw a functional medicine doctor, went on an elimination diet and that was my first foray into our world that we're currently sitting in. But um, that was kind of like the first chapter. And then I'd say like kind of the pendulum swung from like the denial side to more of the obsession side. And I just started to get like really bogged down by what everything in the wellness blogosphere had to say um, and everything it was putting on my to-do list and everything it was going to cost me. So eventually I kind of like had my come to Jesus moments and decided to like do this big wellness project um where I made one change one month at a time that was my last book so I won't get too much into that but essentially for that I was really looking at kind of like 360 wellness like how do we tackle kind of all of the obvious um buckets like sleep stress um detox, quote unquote, hydration, diet, of course, and gut health, quote unquote, gut health. And I really thought that I, I did a ton of research. I interviewed a ton of people at that time too. And I really thought that I knew like all there was to know about gut health. Like at that time um, I was eating all the fermented foods and like crushing all the legumes and cauliflower and inulin rich veggies. And it was all going really well. Like kind of the Spoiler alert is, you know, my my project really did help me kind of get on a better playing field with my Hashimoto's. Um, but then like seven months after the book came out, which was I don't even know, you know, probably like two years later, um, I started to feel like these mysterious symptoms like cropping into in my life again. And it was like a little bit different than before, but basically every time I ate, I would just like balloon into like pregnancy level bloat. And I was like burping a lot. During meals, which I feel like was a pretty red flag um, symptom that I had never really experienced before. And so eventually, you know, I got back in the doctor's office and he immediately tested me for something called SIBO. And I hadn't really heard of it much in my research prior. Um, One thing that I had come across was the low FODMAP diet. And I, I feel like we probably had conversations about this at the time, but I was just like, I do not understand this diet it makes zero sense. Literally all of the things that you're not supposed to eat are all of the things that every gut expert I've talked to says that you're supposed to eat for good, for quote unquote, good gut health. Um, SIBO is a completely different issue though, that I think affects so many people. And one of the reasons why I'm now very passionate about talking about it and advocating for it and spreading awareness is that, you know, I think so many people are just kind of getting that surface level gut information and following the advice that I talked about before, crushing all the probiotic foods and drinking all the kombucha, certainly like I was off the back of my book and just making myself more and more miserable. And in reality, I think a lot of people with quote unquote gut issues have like more acute problems that, you know, SIBO being one of them. So do you want me to define it for people? Oh yeah. I would love what, what is happening with SIBO. Okay. So SIBO stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth, and it is not an issue of like good versus bad bacteria. Um, it's a type of dysbiosis, which just means an imbalance. Um, you can have dysbiosis in the large intestine in just terms of the various species that are present, but in SIBO, it's an issue of location. So your bacteria are overgrowing too far up in the intestinal tract. And I think this is where, you know, kind of the, the dumbed down language of the wellness world, like really doesn't serve us because I like just, Kind of conflated good gut bacteria with like the entire gut. And in reality, like we're mainly talking about the large intestine and each of our organs and areas of the gut, which is basically like our entire digestive system, it all has its own different microbiomes, its own different ecosystems. But the small intestine is, you know, interesting in that it doesn't have much of a role for bacteria at all. In the large intestine, they have lots of different functions and they work in tandem with your immune system and so many different things. But in the small intestine, there is like a very thin mucus lining um, separating your immune system from anything that's coming into the plant. It's also where you absorb your nutrients. So if there are like large amounts of bacteria there, not only are they competing for your nutrients and causing a lot of inflammation in terms of the gas that they release when they eat your food, but then they also can easily kind of work their way through that really thin mucus barrier, which is there to kind of separate, you know, something that is quote unquote other from your immune system. And that causes like a whole downwind autoimmune effect with leaky gut being kind of at the center of it. And yeah, it can be just a big old mess. But I think like the central symptom that most people with SIBO experience is that just debilitating gas. And if you think about it, um, it really does tie into like why the low fodmap low fodmap diet makes sense um, because they're eating their favorite foods and their favorite foods, if they were in the right place would be hunky dory, perfectly fine. But because they're so far up in the intestinal tract, that gas is nowhere to go. So it just gets trapped and people experience like that really uncomfortable distension. It also, you know, is looking for any sort of exit ramp, hence the burping, um, since it's (laughs) a little bit further from the normal exit ramp and yeah. And then if leaky gut does happen as a consequence, which it often does, then there are all these kind of autoimmune type symptoms like, um, skin rashes or sensitivities, food sensitivities, um, joint pain, brain fog, kind of a whole host of, of different things. Like the list of symptoms is a long one. Um, but they say that over of all IBS cases are actually being caused by SIBO. And I think that makes sense because the low FODMAP diet, again, it's it's removing all of these quote unquote good gut foods. Um, So why are people feeling so much better on this diet? To me, there could be other reasons, of course, Um, but to me, SIBO is one that makes a lot of sense.
0: So why does the bacteria get there? Like what causes
1: SIBO? Yeah, so there are a few different ways like, well, there are a few different buckets of risk factors. Um, but I will just say like per your first question, I feel like I understand the actual mechanics of my digestive system now in such a more in-depth way than I ever did. Just kind of like reading top line about gut health. Um, so let me give you a little, a little schooling. Um, it all kind of comes down to <laughs> the way, obviously your body is designed to function. Um, in, in, There are a lot of safeguards to make sure that bacteria that's just naturally coming in through the nose and mouth never make it to the small intestine in a way that they can take up residency. So there are all these antimicrobial substances, primarily your stomach acid, but then also, of course, like your pancreatic enzymes and your bile um, and your immune system itself that are kind of designed to, again, like neutralize some sort of invader. Um, And then there is just the mechanism of the small intestines. It's not designed to cause any sort of traffic jam for anything to like pull off the highway and linger. Um, So one of the biggest buckets for SIBO is something called the migrating motor complex, which is the street sweeping mechanism that like cleans up after a meal Um, that kind of goes off the rails. And that's one of the big reasons why bacteria could overgrow. It's also a reason why maybe you have candida or a fungal overgrowth. It's kind of like it has to do with the mechanisms. So anything can overgrow. It's just an issue of like stagnation.
0: And I heard you talk about that at the talk that we did, um, that one talk in New York. And you said that one of the best ways to combat the migrating motor complex is to just not snack between your meals, to eat your meals and like leave four to five
1: hours. Would you say that's generally the cause of it then too is over snacking? I'd say like, honestly, it's kind of similar to an autoimmune disease. Anyone who's familiar, intimately familiar, maybe has one themselves know that, you know, there's, you can rarely point to like one specific thing and be like that caused my autoimmune disease. Sometimes there'll be like a catalyst event But if you look at the kind of the risk factor list, and it's the same with SIBO, like the risk factor list includes so many things, like all that stuff just kind of piles up. And maybe there is like one thing that like lights the match and sets the whole thing on fire. With SIBO, often it is food poisoning that causes the migrating motor complex to really break down. But if you even if you think about that, it's like, well, like, how'd you get food poisoning? Do you have low stomach acid? Like, is your immune system Mm. like not working properly? So, yeah. So the migrating motor complex, what's really interesting is that it only kicks in during a fasting state of 90 minutes or more, which, you know, in the old days was super easy because we were not like eating around the clock. But um, yeah, I would say that snacking is for sure a risk factor. I wouldn't say that like anyone has like snacking as like their sole cause of SIBO, but it could certainly be something that's like exacerbating it. Um, Is that to a level even
0: where you would say that healthy people should try to not eat with with like 90 minutes between their snacks or meals so that they can experience that sort of street sweeper effect and get everything cleared out for the next meal?
1: Yes. I mean, I think we're all individual, unique beings, but again, you think about the way the digestive system was designed to function. And I think it's really hard to make an argument for needing to snack around the clock. I mean, if you are hungry around the clock, it probably says more about your blood sugar than your metabolism, like as a a healthy thing. (laughs) So there's the migrating motor complex and that can
0: get messed up by potentially snacking, but also something like food poisoning. Do you think it was food poisoning for you. Are there other causes of SIBO? Do you think your SIBO caused your Hashimoto's, or do you
1: think your Hashimoto's like caused your SIBO? That's a really interesting question that I can't answer. I I think that my Hashimoto's caused my SIBO, but I think that food poisoning caused my Hashimoto's. That I think food poisoning was the match that like lit my autoimmune disease on fire. Um, you know, and that can cause damage to the gut in various ways um, outside of SIBO. Um, I, I mean, I think that I probably had like a parasite that just—I don't know if I ever. Maybe it's still with me. Who knows? <laughs> well, we'll talk about all the weird ass shit you do for I your know. parasites oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> later. Don't worry. Um, if somebody, okay, so let's start with if somebody hears about SIBO and is like, "That doesn't sound good," I want to definitely avoid that. What's like one or two lifestyle tips you would give them to not get SIBO?
1: Yeah, I think meal spacing is a really good one that you mentioned, and. I think if you have something that puts you kind of on the risk factor list, um, Hashimoto's being one of them, a lot of autoimmune diseases being on the list, um, there's kind of like a vicious cycle with autoimmune diseases and SIBO because as I mentioned, SIBO can cause leaky gut, leaky gut can cause autoimmune disease. But then there are all these autoimmune diseases that I think probably like it's correlated to like, autoimmune disease being caused in some way by some sort of gut dysfunction and just like wear and tear on the gut. Like colitis and celiac would be kind of examples. Like there's definitely something going on with the gut motility, which is essentially the migrating motor complex. Um, But they haven't kind of zeroed in through research on the exact mechanism. The exact mechanism with food poisoning is really interesting um, because what happens is when your immune system rallies and begins fighting like certain types of bacteria, they produce a toxin that through molecular mimicry, which basically just means like your body's mistaken identity can attack the nerve cells of the migrating motor complex. So it's, it's not like an ongoing autoimmunity, but it's like an acute case of autoimmunity. And that causes, you know, so you'll maybe, experience like miserable diarrhea or, you know, the effects of food poisoning for like a short period of time, then feel much better. But then since you're not, Since your migrating motor complex is not functioning, then over the course of weeks and months, it's possible that things become stagnant and overgrow. So I think people sometimes just don't actually put those two things together because you wouldn't think if you started to have like symptoms kind of creeping into your life in a month, like, oh, that was that food poisoning. Some people are like, oh, I was never the same like since that event. Um but for a lot of people it can be just like a really sneaky thing um but that's one one thing that they've uncovered in research as like a given and they do think that that is one of the most common causes of SIBO. Um, And then there's a whole nother bucket. Sorry, I'm going to get to your lifestyle (laughs) lifestyle easy tip um, question in a second. But there's another bucket of just like structural issues. And I think this one's really important, especially for women, because if you've had any sort of abdominal surgery, like a C-section or laparoscopy for endometriosis or a hysterectomy, um, even if it's like by the best laparoscopic surgeon out there, there's still a chance you're going to have some internal scar tissue from that experience. So even if like everything appears fine on the outside, you have just like a small mark of what happened, um, inside, you know, things can form like your fascia can kind of change. And the way that it's kind of described by practitioners who, who work specifically with this is like, it's like cling wrap, like plastic wrap. So it can kind of stick to your organs and just cause them to not, you know, Move as freely as they once did, um, and then there are all well, these other. Wait, that's a bummer. I like.
0: <laughs> I'm terrified. Zach and I haven't decided whether we want kids yet, but like, if we do, I'm terrified of giving birth and the idea that I could just potentially get a C-section, even though I know all my wellness friends would be so mad at me for it is like been a comforting thing in the back of my mind. I'm
1: attracted to it as well. Don't (laughs) worry. Um, No, but there are things you can do. Like there are certain types of body work that can help you kind of rehab that surgery afterwards that, you know, in this country is not just like something that would ever be recommended to you off the operating table. Like internal stuff? No, like it's called like visceral manipulation or craniosacral therapy, it's like just very targeted. Like it kind of feels like you're barely being touched, but like they're literally just like moving your organs.
0: Okay. So like just, it's more like if you feel like you're having SIBO or gut issues, potentially consider that there could be an actual physical cause to it in that way.
1: And I do think there often is. I actually think body work of that in that genre is like such a secret weapon for a lot of people. I know it was for me. I had like a crazy, what I thought was like a SIBO relapse that was not SIBO at all. It was just like, I had like completely compressed my vagus nerve from doing too many crunches and Pilates. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my
0: God. I don't, that might be one of the most first world sentences you've ever said. (laughs) Um, Okay. So are there other sort of things we should do if we just, if I feel healthy now, but I want to avoid getting SIBO in the future?
1: Yes. I mean, I think it's all kind of common sense stuff that none of us probably do well enough, like chew your food so chewing your food would be a big one. Um, I also think like if you're someone who already has kind of IBS symptoms, like don't get bogged down with like the low FODMAP diet or any of these questions of like what you're eating, but just rethink how you're eating it. Um, so a chewing b like, try pureeing, try, you know, just, cooking the food in the first place. Like, I think a lot of people just like, will eat a big woody salad and be like, this is healthy. Why am I miserable? And it's like, Oh, cause like cold food and raw food are both really hard in your system. And if you're someone who's like ha- prone to a more stagnant inflamed system, cough, cough, Hashi posse people, you know, that may be tough for you. Um, so chewing your food, um, heating your food, pureeing your food, um, not laying horizontal immediately after dinner, eating dinner early enough, I think is like kind of big in the meal spacing, um, subject. And that's because of course, like, you know, your migrating motor complex is going to be doing its most thorough street sweeping overnight. So if you have like undigested food, that's just like kind of sitting there and festering. That's not great. Um, I have so many others, like one for ladies, I would also say is like not wearing tight pants all the time. Um, again, Even like yoga pants? Well, I think there are some yoga pants that like are more forgiving than others. Um, my, well... I won't hate on certain brands. I don't know who your sponsors are, but my Outdoor Voices leggings. Oh my God, I I hate on Outdoor Voices. I think I've literally called them out in Instagram posts. And I remember (laughs) the day I did it, I was like, I guess they're never gonna
0: sponsor me, but they make me feel like a sausage.
1: I had to give away all mine. I like saved one pair that I wear like sometimes just in photos. Which I I find very frustrating because their whole thing is that they're
0: um, body inclusive. Like I don't know who they're getting in their ads because those women would not fit the pants that they're selling.
1: Well, they changed their materials. I have one pair that I like. They're still on the tighter side and like the less comfortable side, but I can fit in them. And then I bought, that. that was like a long time ago, like in the early stages of the brand. And then I bought a few pairs after that and I could not fit into them. And I'm like, it's not just that I'm bigger because like the other ones fit and like the material just feels different. Like, I don't know, it became like cheaper. So if
0: something feels tight, like on your belly, that's, Maybe not actually ideal well, for no. you. Really, I'm
1: wearing a dress right now with not even any underwear. I mean, you're on, doing so great. Like really, and not well, you're not wearing <laughs> bras. Bras can also be really constrictive. I mean, just think about it. Anything that's bearing down on your intestines, like, is going to make it harder for food to move through it. I mean, it's the small intestines are have larger surface area than a football field, and there's like lots of nooks and crannies for you know fun bacteria to like throw a party and stay for a while. <laughs> So if I am
0: having like some of those symptoms that you talked about, if I'm bloating and burping through all of my meals, how would I know if that's SIBO or not? How would I diagnose myself?
1: Yeah. So you would take a really um, labor intensive breath test, which I don't know. I mean, there are worse tests to be had in this world. I mean, at least you you, can do it at home. Can't you, you? Yeah. You can do it at home. It's like a two to three hour test it requires like 24 hours to like two weeks of just like thinking about it in advance and like making slight adjustments, but 24 hours of like eating a very limited diet and then fasting overnight. Um, but essentially I think it's really cool. Um, essentially you are drinking a sugar solution and then blowing into these tubes at like, 15 to 20 minute increments. And essentially at the lab, they're like testing the levels of gases in your breath and the hypothesis. And there's been some argument to the contrary, but the hypothesis is the only thing that could be causing those gases is bacteria. So they look for certain spikes at various intervals. And if they see spikes happening too early, i.e. like before the sugar solution would have managed to make it to your large intestine, where of course there's lots of bacteria and you should see a spike, that's a sign of SIBO.
0: So you order like a test. Do you have a blog post that's like how to get your SIBO test, how to do a SIBO test, all of that? Okay. So search Phoebe Lapine, how to do a SIBO test. You can do it at home, but you need to order something to like blow into, right?
1: Yes. You need a whole kit and you need to order the kit. If you want insurance to cover it, you should have a doctor order it for you.
0: Okay. And is there any way to like self-diagnose? Like,
1: I mean, some people do. Some doctors are like the breath test is not a perfect science and it's not. Um, But, you know, there's been people who have like done meta-analysis and said that, okay, like, we don't sure. Like maybe it's not bacteria causing it. Sure. How would we know? But there is a correlation between abnormal breath tests and people getting better after treatment. So there's something, there's something to it. Um, but yeah, some people will just go on symptoms and try a round of treatment and see if they get better. Um, I think it's hard. There are different treatments. One is like conventional not conventional antibiotics and like the bad antibiotics. Um, There's like a specific one for SIBO that's quite expensive. So again, if you want insurance to cover it, you should get a test because it's not going to cover it if you don't have a confirmed diagnosis.
0: So what helped, like, do you consider yourself SIBO free at this point?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think so. I still have like IBS flares from time to time. I think that's like kind of a misconception. You know, people get like really, really hung up on SIBO and like in this crazy, like kill mindset in regards to bacteria. And I think in reality, there's just a lot of people who are on the spectrum after the bacteria are gone because of all the damage that they cause. So there's kind of like an entire phase of healing that a lot of people just skip over because their doctors, you know, don't really talk them through it. And so, yeah, those people may still experience symptoms, even though there's no bacteria there.
0: So I know you talk about like whole plans for SIBO in your book and you have so many delicious recipes so that it's not terrible to (laughs) go through a SIBO treatment plan. But can you just talk a little bit about what worked for you and what was the most helpful in your own curing SIBO journey?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I followed the advice of my medical professional, which is how I advise everyone to do it. Um, Because it is, it's really a complicated dance. Um, My book, I hope will make it as easy as possible to understand your options and talk to your doctor about them. Um, but there is, it's not like a roadmap, and this is like how you cure SIBO in 21 days. Like it, there is no one cure or solution for everyone. Like it is actually, and that's true of like so many different illnesses. But specifically with SIBO, like the experts will say, like there is no one solution for everyone because if you think about it, like all of our microbiomes are more unique than a fingerprint. That can go for you know whatever's overgrowing in the wrong place, and so it may react to you know certain antibiotics on one person and not on another um certain herbs on one person, not on another. so I did an herbal protocol um, that's kind of one bucket of options for killing your sibo, killing your bacteria um, I'd think most people go through one kill phase or another. A lot of people go through several. Unfortunately, I think people who have like kind of chronic issues can really get stuck and just like this horrible cycle of the kill phase and forget about the whole spectrum of healing beyond that. Um, so I was really lucky. I mean, mine was fairly straightforward at the end of the day. I did my, my gases weren't that high, so I didn't have like a crazy case of SIBO. Um, I can really sympathize with people who do because like my symptoms were pretty (laughs) noticeable even with that minor case. Um, So I did four weeks, four to six weeks of these compound herbs. Um, There are a few protocols that have been tested and shown to be as effective as the antibiotics. Um, So some practitioners prefer if you're like really sensitive to just go with individual herbs, things like oregano, um, berberine herbs, neem. Allison garlic, um, is one type it's like kind of a specific antimicrobial derivative of garlic that doesn't irritate people with IBS in the way that eating garlic as part of your meal does. Um, so I did one of these like compound formulas, um, from a company called biotics and it was really intense. Um, I think that's another misconception is like, you know, that you're going to feel better right away. Like my symptoms were definitely worse for the first few weeks. And then I kind of got into a better playing field, but I did the low FODMAP diet kind of in tandem. And it's like a tricky thing because diet is not an actual treatment. Um, It is probably the best thing for reducing symptoms, which is important because, you know, that gas as we said earlier, like it's not just uncomfortable. It is kind of like inflammatory for the gut. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you're taking away your bacteria's food sources, they can potentially go dormant. So if you're actively trying to kill them, you also don't want that to happen. So it's, it's like kind of a delicate dance. It's like, you want to do as much with your diet to make you more comfortable so that like you can actually like get through the treatment, but still kind of, you know, switch things up enough or like eat a few high FODMAP things here and there so that, you know, the actual kill protocol is doing what it needs to do. Can you talk to me about low FODMAP for a second?
0: Because I do think there's a lot of misconceptions about the low FODMAP diet and when people should try it and how long they should be on it. Yeah.
1: So it's a therapeutic diet. It is not like a lifestyle. I get emails all the time from people who are like, yeah, I've been low FODMAP for a few years and I'm doing great. And I'm like, oh gosh, <laughs> you're not doing great. <laughs> like that's not the goal. Um, cause there is compelling evidence that if you are on a low FODMAP diet for something like longer than two months, it does like real damage to the health of your bacterial ecosystem and your large intestine, which is again, like what we rely on as like the basis for a lot of our good mental and physical health. Um, so essentially you're taking away again, all those foods that most microbiome specialists tell you to eat, um, to quiet the symptoms. It's not, do you know, like, the acronym acronym. I do, but I'm really bad at saying the words when I recorded the audio book for the <laughs> I was like having we a We won't judge time. you, just just try it. Okay. Fructans, oligliosaccharides. That's the one I really struggle with. Monosaccharides. Oh, sorry, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. And so those are essentially talking about the types Okay. The tar- Go ahead. Tell- Say so yeah, the- they're, they're not carbohydrates. And like the way we think of carbohydrates, like starches, they're like the building blocks of all foods. Like that's what also bothers me about like, quote unquote, low carb diets. I'm like, everything's a carb. <laughs> if you're eating a vegetable, you're eating a carb. <laughs> so yes, they are not something that you're like allergic to. They are in all plants. Um, and it's why, you know, the list of things on the low FODMAP diet that you're not allowed to eat includes tons of really healthy vegetables. Um, again, hence why you don't want to be on it for a really long time. But, you yeah, know, wait, can you say something like it's like apples
0: and a
1: lot of fruit. There's a lot of because again, like the um disaccharides and monosaccharides. Um, and garlic and
0: onions I know is on there, which is yes. so sucky.
1: All of the oleums are on there. That's really tough. That's like what makes it the toughest diet because it's really hard to eat out. Um, but then like all those inulin rich veggies, like asparagus, um, artichokes, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, mushrooms, avocado, Um, I mean, there's so many. It's butternut squash, like (laughs) everything. Um, But you know, the positive of the low FODMAP diet, I think, is that, again, it's not like these things are completely off the table forever, but some of them are not completely off the table at all. You just have to eat really small quantities, which is annoying. And people, like I didn't want to at the time, like have to remember like, oh yeah, I can have sweet potato, but like only if it's like, half a cup on the plate. Like, no, I wasn't gonna do. It. Oh, I can have avocado, but only an eighth of it at a time. <laughs> yeah. I was just gonna be like, nope, not gonna eat those things. Uh my book makes it a lot easier for you and like to keep that diversity. But yeah, it's it's a lot to think about. But I think in the best application and you know forcing yourself to do a re reintroduction and to learn something for it is that like actually diversity on the plate is the goal. Like you just want to be eating smaller quantities of more vegetables and not just like going super hard on like eating like a whole head of cauliflower for dinner as, you know, your main course. That's just going to be a lot for a lot of people. I have
0: a recipe in my book for a whole head of cauliflower. I mean, it's delicious. I used to make it all the time.
1: I mean, I used to be very much like a, a blue plate special kind of cook. Like we'll have broccoli as our side tonight. Like we'll have Brussels sprouts as our side. And like at restaurants too, just like ordering a big side of Brussels sprouts and like eating the whole thing. Um, So for like healthy people, people, again, who are just kind of looking to have their
0: gut be at its best, the takeaway from that kind of what those learnings would just be like diversify your plate as much as possible. But for people who are experiencing gut issues, do you think all gut issues? It's it's really about alleviation of symptoms yes. rather than
1: curing things, yes. right? And that's the biggest misconception with SIBO that leads to a lot of food fear and disordered eating, frankly, because unfortunately it is a condition that is directly triggered by food. I mean, it's like, there's no way around it. Like you're experiencing symptoms because of bacteria eating your food. Um, so it's actually kind of a telltale sign of like it being SIBO versus another, Gut issue is that you feel it immediately upon eating. Um, If you're like feeling like a bad tummy the next day, like maybe it's because you don't have a certain type of bacteria in your large intestines that helps to break down legumes as well. Um, That's just like one example. It could be many, many things. But for SIBO people, it's like a frequency thing and like a location thing. It's like you feel it kind of far up in your in your chest, like almost like pressing up against your ribs. It's not like down by your uterus, like, um, a period type bloating. Um, it's a little bit more like uncomfortable distension, but yeah, I mean, the thing that you're kind of teasing out with the low FODMAP diet, well, sorry, I'll get back. So the misconception is that starving the bacteria by removing those favorite foods is going to make your treatment work better and it's just not correlated at all it may make you less symptomatic but you can cure SIBO without diet completely you might be miserable like because those it's going to be pretty intense um, but it's completely possible what about people who just
0: have IBS I think a lot of people who feel like they just have IBS do you feel like there's a cause to that and again low FODMAP is just kind of Fixing their symptoms, and they should use that as a sign, as like a stopgap while they figure out the causes.
1: Yeah. And I think people like, find low fodmap and you're they're like this is the solution and never look for the underlying cause which is problematic or they just never do the reintroduction and in reality most people are only reactive to like one acronym or like even certain foods within that acronym usually and you know again it's it's a quantity issue so you're in the reintroduction versus like a traditional elimination diet you're like hedging for that threshold so you're not just like trying a food one day and then being like, meh, you're like trying it at a low quantity, then trying it at a medium quantity, then trying it at like an aggressive quantity to kind of figure out where your tipping point is. And most people can find like, you know, most people can reintroduce almost everything in small quantities and should, absolutely should. And you can work your way up to the larger quantities as you heal your gut in other ways. And as you just like, I don't know. I mean, when you go off of anything for a certain amount of time, your body loses its ability in some ways to, to digest it. You may not be producing that enzyme anymore or what have you. Um, I do think that all of these things, you know, take some cross-training afterwards.
0: You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should at least be simple. That's why for more than five years now, I've been drinking AG1. It's just one scoop mixed in water and it makes me feel energized and focused without any kind of caffeine jitters. I discovered AG1 after a ton of research because I was looking for one simple habit I could incorporate into my day that would support my entire body and cover my nutritional bases. No matter what the rest of the day looks like, I know that I'm getting essential brain, gut, and immune health support. I just mix a scoop of AG1 into my water. I think it tastes delicious too, which I know people are always nervous about, but I think it's like a tropical vanilla flavor and I crave it, especially because I associate the flavor with feeling so good. Of course, we're always trying to eat our fruits and vegetables and balanced meals over here, but nobody is perfect, so AG1 helps support me with 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, and adaptogens. I especially love it for all of the travel I've been doing. I think it's a huge reason why I still feel so good and have avoided getting sick despite being on a plane a few times a week for so much of this year and having to eat out so often. AG1 is rigorously third-party tested, which you know I always look out for. It also has less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, and no artificial anything. AG1 is one of the highest quality products to elevate your health, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1 try AG1 and get a free 1-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and 5 free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com/lizmoody that's drinkag1.com/lizmoody check it out many of you know that i am unfortunately allergic to my beautiful cat baby bella I haven't let that prevent me from snuggling her constantly, which has resulted in a near-perpetual state of itchy eyes and a runny nose. I first tried out Life Seasons because their Breathe X supplement has the best list of ingredients I've seen in terms of helping with allergies. It has basically all of the ingredients that doctors would recommend when I'd write articles about eliminating allergies. It has quercetin, vitamin C, bromelain, and nettle. I started taking them a few months ago. I do two in the morning and two at night, and honestly, they have made a huge difference. I can breathe better, I'm less itchy, and I'm free to annoy Bella with as many cuddles as I'd like. Life Seasons is truly an impressive company with some of the best supplement formulations. I've also tried their Rest ZZZ, which comes in a variety with melatonin and without, on nights that I have a hard time sleeping and has helped immensely. Life Seasons has incredibly high standards for both their formulations and the products themselves. They do extensive testing on the ingredients at multiple stages in the process, ensuring they're free of heavy metals, microbes, and that they're as potent as possible. They're sort of the best of both worlds. Combining natural herbs, they have a master herbalist on staff with the latest research and validation methods. They're even running a number of their own clinical trials, which I think is so cool. You can go to LifeSeasons.com or click the link in the show notes to check out their full line. They have products for gut health, inflammation, immunity, and many, many more, including my beloved allergy blend. They have also given me a discount code. You can use Healthier Together, like the name of this podcast, all one word, Healthier Together, for 15% off your order. I cannot wait to hear what you think. Now, let's get back to the episode. So if somebody's listening to this and they just kind of feel like they have general gut issues. Like they feel like they get stomach aches sometimes. Maybe they're not pooping as regularly as they would like to, or they're pooping too often, (laughs) um, or they feel bloated a lot. Do you recommend starting with the SIBO test? Do you recommend starting with the low FODMAP diet? How do we kind of like get to the bottom of what's causing it and what we should do?
1: Yeah. Well, it depends on the severity. I mean, unfortunately, Now that SIBO, one part of SIBO awareness that is not a positive is people just like hearing the symptoms and being like, oh my God, I have SIBO. But the reality is that over 40 different conditions can cause IBS symptoms. Um, I think it's worthwhile to over the years, especially if you've had gut issues your whole life to troubleshoot. I mean- There's a lot of undiagnosed celiac disease in this world. There's like a lot of kind of bigger issues, lifelong issues that can go undiagnosed if you think that SIBO or IBS is like (laughs) a diagnosis that is like book closed, like I'm going to move on with my life. Um, Because even SIBO itself, I mean, that's the reason why it becomes chronic is because people don't take the time to dig into their root cause and kind of... SIBO, similar to IBS, is not a disease. It's just a sign that something's gone wrong in the body. And usually, as we talked about earlier, like it's several things. It's like a whole list of things. And I'll Sometimes, you know, maybe that that root cause is not something you can reverse. Um, you know, my Hashimoto's at this point is probably here to stay, but I know how to kind of safeguard against, you know, what is making me more prone to sibo because of my Hashimoto's. The motility issue, the low stomach acid, you know, these are things that I can kind of safeguard in my daily life. Um, so in terms of people who are just like really unsure, I mean, I would first of all just find a practitioner who's like committed to the process of root causes because there are a lot. I know, but that's so hard. so hard. You you live in New York.
0: You also have access to so many doctors just because of what you do. I think think New York is the worst place for doctors, by the way. Do you? I think I picture people living in like smaller towns in places where they go into their doctor and they consistently say like, my stomach really hurts and the doctor's just like, oh, you're stressed and sends them away like time or have some Tums or something like that. And so I do I'm I'm with you in terms of one of the things I really like about your approach is you don't you're not like, oh, it's holistic or um, Western medicine. You really integrate the two. But I think the frustration is when people feel like they're Western doctors, don't take them seriously. They can't afford the fancy holistic doctors, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really frustrating. There are a lot of people going it alone and it's hard for me as like a a lay person because I'm getting, you know, messages all the time asking me for advice because I mean, even I will say even I who saw a great functional medicine doctor in New York had to do a lot of it myself. You know, it's just like even the best doctor is going to send you home with like only so much information that you're going to then have to kind of dig into a little bit further. But I would say that said, in terms of kind of the root cause lists, like you need a doctor to test for those things. Like even, you know, jo- even like a conventional, there are a lot of conventional slash Western medicine doctors who are not educated on this, but who might be willing to run the tests for you, who might be open to learning about SIBO, who might be open to just ordering the test, who, you know, can submit the test for celiac, you know, who can refer you to a GI to rule out IBD. You know, these are all things that need to slowly be ticked off, unfortunately, if you don't find something else kind of along the way. I mean, even for me, I had never had a colonoscopy or endoscopy before. And like, kind of realized at some point in my journey post-sibo, I was like, God, like, you know, these things are, you know, I'm high risk for these things because I know that, you know, they are such a big they have such a big correlation with SIBO. And, you know, if you're already on the autoimmune spectrum, it's very possible that there's more than one thing going on. Like I need to finally invest in, in ruling these things out. So you would
0: kind of go to your normal doctor and maybe ask for some tests, try to get to the root cause and then kind of examine, pro- or examine protocols for whatever comes back positive. If something does, that would be sort of your first port in the storm if you're having gut issues.
1: Well, no. I mean, I think that there is something that can be done. There are a lot of things that can be done on your own if you want to just have immediate relief, like some sort of elimination diet being one of them. I don't think a low FODMAP diet is honestly the first step. I think a lot of people like it could be like a basic food sensitivity or allergen. So, you know, I would kind of go with the big guns first. And that actually, I think, goes for SIBO people as well. It's kind of one of the things that. I think my book tackles that a lot of the SIBO reading I've done and interviews I've done and with specialists don't is that, hello, like if SIBO causes leaky gut, like a lot of people are going to be having immune reactions to food Mm. and low FODMAP is not an allergen free diet. You can have gluten, you can have dairy, you can have soy and corn. You can have all these things to some extent on a low FODMAP diet. So my book doesn't include any of those things just because I think it's important to, again, like rule out the big guns. Um, because it could be, you know, you just have a case of leaky gut and have food sensitivities and don't have SIBO at all. Um, there are so many different things that can cause leaky gut. Um, so yeah, I would say you can experiment a bit with food. If, Food doesn't seem to do it. Again, if it's like a frequency thing, like if you're having stomach issues every once in a while, that could a hundred percent be an ingredient you're eating. If you're miserable every time you eat, that kind of points to, you know, something else going on. So I think that honestly, like some sort of testing is worthwhile at that point because just going on a low FODMAP diet, you know. I don't know. It's, it's going to maybe help you out on the other end of it. Once you reintroduce and maybe can make some tweaks to your diet, but, um, it might, it's not like kind of diagnostic in and of itself.
0: You've mentioned, this is veering a little bit away from the gut health stuff, but not that much. You've mentioned that you have hashis. Are you a
1: celiac or do you just do gluten-free for your hashis? I do gluten-free for my hashis. I ruled out celiac, um, last year or two years ago. And I think one of the things that has
0: really impressed me about you is that you haven't let any of these chronic illnesses that you deal with get in the way of you living your life at all. Like you travel so much, um, you we we just do the trips that you guys do after you do them because they're good. I, mean, I feel the exactly same way about like you. To do. I'm like always taking notes. <laughs> um, but how do you balance getting your pretty specific needs taken care of? And still being able to kind of live this very full, beautiful life that you live.
1: I mean, that was kind of my year-long experiment, like with the wellness project. Like the subtitle of that book, which was like kind of the the point of my mission, was like to figure out how to live your life. Um, so how to heal your body without giving up your life. Um, because I really do think, and this goes for SIBO as well, like stress, anxiety, all these things are incredibly corrosive to health. I think they're way more damaging than any ingredient that maybe your immune system is reacting to. Um, and with regards specifically to SIBO, um, there's plenty of evidence that stress specifically lowers stomach acid, specifically messes with your gut motility. Like it is, again, probably not the one thing that's going to um be the triggering event, but it is certainly like a huge ingredient for what's like adding to the risk factor sheet. Um, so yeah, for me, I kind of feel like that whole year was like a big old experiment to figure out how I could set myself up for success in certain ways in my life in order to allow for more flexibility when I'm kind of outside the circumstances that I have the most control. So mostly outside of the home. Um, and that to me like extends to vacations. Um, I mean, most people are just tend to be less stressed out on vacation and, you know, having, I don't know, just like there's, there are a lot of things that you don't think about that are being added to like the pro column to allow you to, you know, eat some things that maybe you wouldn't at home and, you know, not exercise and basically just like stray outside of your routines.
0: So basically it's like, if you create a system that works as optimally as possible in the times when you do have the control, you can be a little bit freer in the times that you don't have control because that system is shiny and happy.
1: I think so. But it's also, it's like, again, everything in life is cumulative. Like a lot of stuff, like I hate the term like our toxic burden, but for autoimmune diseases and for C- SIBO, like an inflammatory based condition, it's definitely relevant. So for me, it was a lot of like kind of detoxing, quote unquote, my life, um, in various ways that again, like if I can, you know, have no personal care products or home cleaning products that have chemicals in them, that's going to allow me, you know, a little bit more leeway when I'm outside my house and like come in contact with chemicals. Like, you know, it's just, it all adds up. So I'm not going to stress about the things that I can't control. Um, I'm going to just, enjoy my life. But I think those kind of one-time changes where you just never have to think about them again, but just like kind of set you up a little bit more for success long-term are
0: great. So can you talk me through some of those? I love, like, um, I know you're going to say water filter. (laughs) So talk, yeah, talk us through some. They're my favorite ones too, because it's so much like, yes, we should work out very often and meditate and stuff like that. But like, Swapping
1: your personal care products is just you do it once and then they're done. Yeah. And you just never have to think about it again. I mean, I think about it when because I'm now like so sensitive to synthetic fragrance that like if I use a hotel shampoo, it's like it's like an intense experience for me. I still do it. Like whatever. Also, Um, I feel like my hair just looks like shit when I use the hotel shampoo. I I don't know. Yeah. Um, But water filter, I think is a big one um, for many reasons, but specifically for Hashimoto's people in terms of the chlorine and the fluoride, not all water filters will take the fluoride out, but even just getting the chlorine out would be, you know, a huge boon to your system. It's also a huge boon to your overall gut health too, because hello, like chlorine in pools is designed to kill algae. Well, that's why
0: in in the water supply too, chlorine is literally in there. So we don't get like cholera to like kill the bacteria, which is great. I'm all about not getting cholera. Then it kills other things inside you too. Then it it would completely make sense that it would kill the bacteria in your body. It feels, it actually feels like a nice system to me. I just think it should be more normalized that they're going to add all this shit to it so that you don't get cholera in the water yeah. system. And then every house should have a thing to take that stuff out. So you're just drinking like clean and pure water.
1: I know. Well, and it's like a whole issue of infrastructure too. Cause like there's hello Flint, Michigan. There's a lot of lead. That's just unfortunately like a result of just aging infrastructure that would cost probably, it would probably cost less to like send every family a water filter than to fix. Um, of course, that water is also like being used on all the food we eat and like on the animals. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's just a mess, but um, if you can, there are plenty of affordable options for water filters. I would say that I would invest in one that's like, in the hundred dollar range that you only have to change the filter once a year because the pitcher filters for the most part, which are like kind of the under a hundred dollar price range, you have to change the filter like every two months. And that ends up being more expensive in the long term than actually just getting the more expensive filter. And you're just not going to remember to replace. Them every two I would also say like, don't be intimidated. We have
0: an under sink one that we actually literally just install in every Airbnb that we go Ooh. to. And we have a shower filter we just install and it takes under 10 minutes to literally do both of them. So I'd say also like, don't be intimidated by the ones that look a little more complicated because yeah. usually they're much simpler than they, the look. shower ones are easy. The shower ones like are super easy and on. do it for vanity. If not for your yes. health, like your skin and your hair look so much better when you use a shower filter than when you don't.
1: Yeah. And the chlorine is, you know, killing the delicate microbiome on your skin as well. Um, Which we're just now learning like how important so that important. is. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so what are other sort of like one-time easy swaps that you recommend? Well, the personal care products for sure. I think that's huge. Like, But anything that can just like, quote unquote, limit your toxic burden in that way. I think, and this is I maybe more optional, but um, I think setting your bedroom up is like the best thing that you can do. It's very expensive, but making sure you have a good quality mattress that's not like off gassing. Um, If you want to go crazy, you can get an air filter for your bedroom and just run it at night. Again, that's kind of, there's nowhere else in your home where you're spending like uninterrupted eight hours, just like breathing in
0: whatever's around well that's you. why I think too um like I'm not gonna buy organic clothes. I mean I if I was rich I would yeah. buy you know all organic clothes but I'm but just not even not. then you'd be attracted to really expensive non-organic clothes.
1: Yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: probably would be but I can sleep on organic sheets yeah. and I'm spending literally as much time in the sheets every night as I am in my clothes. So I feel like it's a really nice compromise. It's a
1: really good place to put your money that like for some reason people don't think to because like you're unconscious there. So like, what do you care? But no, it matters. (laughs) So I know you've tried
0: like a zillion other, these might not be like one-time solutions, but you've tried pretty much every wellness thing in existence, like from lemon water to your guys's very intense home (laughs) sauna bag. Um, What are like maybe three wellness things that you think are really worth it and three that you think are totally a waste of money?
1: Well, I was going to say I've rejected a lot. Like I've not tried a lot of things. I've like come across a lot of things, but um I'm actually like pretty ungadgety um because I felt like that was kind of where a lot of the the to-do list skewed when I first started like getting into holistic health and like again where I was like I have to spend money on all of these things like no. Um so the sauna blanket is a luxury and it's something that we enjoy, but that is probably the only thing in my home that's like a weird wellness thing do you think that it's worth
0: it like would you put that on top three things if people wanted to sort of wellness up their life because it can be things you buy or it can be like practices like meditation could be on the okay. list or not celery right. juice could be on the list or not
1: so I would put the sauna in a larger bucket of like I would put it in with bath um and just like anything sweating. that'll make you sweat. Yeah. I think sweating is just like a completely underappreciated part of detox. And do you think you should sweat every day? And does my like gross workouts that I do where I get all red-faced and- Yeah, that counts. That counts. Okay. It absolutely counts. I- I don't know. I just have not had a system for a long time that can tolerate like intense cardio. Like my hormones just do not like that. And like, I don't know, my like muscular system just doesn't like that at this point. So that's actually why I really like the sauna because it like... It fills in the gap there for something that I'm just not able to do as much. As I like. I used to be a really hardcore like sporty person, and so I do really miss like kind of intense sweating. Um, and I like being hot, but you know what? Taking a hot bath like you do get sweaty in the bath. Like it, it can. That's do why the I, exact don't like same thing. I don't like baths
0: because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, it's so hot, and then it gets so cold so quickly, and I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I.
1: Yeah. Um okay, so I I the cheap option is just invest, well, a lot of people live in apartments. I certainly did for a long time that did not have an ideal bath setup. Um so, yeah. My sister I don't know. got wait, this is a hot tip. My sister ordered
0: online a a bath that you can put in your shower. So, <gasps> it's like a it's the weirdest looking thing I've ever done, but she does it now and she has a stand up shower in her, you know, little tiny apartment. And you, it has like a a seat in How it. How do you get into it? It, it? you. I don't know. I should ask her if she films the part where she's in it, but I've never seen the process. But you fill it up from your shower head and it stands in your shower and then you somehow get into it. So if you do have a shower, perhaps <laughs> you can buy one of these bathtubs, maybe okay. look it up on the Internet. They exist. I'm
1: intrigued. (laughs) I'm intrigued. I love my baths. Okay, so Um, we would put sweating on uh, three things that are worth it. I mean, I still think though that like that's not a necessity. Like my things are all going to be like really common sense, like dumb things. I think that oral hygiene is extremely underrated. And this past year, that was kind of like my theme. There's always something that goes wrong with me every year. And this year, it was all teeth related. Um, But I really like did a bunch of research with SIBO, you know, with like, oral mouth bacteria and the connection to various other um ailments in the body and also like kind of the reciprocal relationship to the gut microbiome and it's fascinating and i think that not enough people it's such a basic thing um like these common sense habits of just like you know drinking good water and like brushing your teeth twice a day and flossing do you think um is there like things people are doing wrong with their oral hygiene that are messing with their oral hygiene i, I think people just don't pay enough attention to it. I do think that, I mean, it's a, it's, there are two camps in terms of the fluoride, no fluoride toothpaste. Um, but I think if you can buy a toothpaste that doesn't have junk in it, even if it does have fluoride, like if it just doesn't have like, um, SLS in it and some of these other additives, that's great. Um, there are some incredible brands now that like remineralize the teeth. There are various mouthwashes that are made from different herbal blends that again, can kind of like, are naturally antimicrobial. Um yeah, you have a blog post that I do I,
0: I use as a reference for um like there's like that mouthwash the bio side
1: one or the, whatever. Yeah dental
0: cyton. I love dental that dental cyton. Yeah. So if we search BB Lapine like I'll send or, it to you for the show notes. Okay. I'll put it in the show notes. Um there.
1: Excellent. Giving me homework for later. Yes. Um. (laughs) Okay. Well, I think my sauna blanket is worth it to answer your question. I love it. And I do think that even though it is a big ticket item, if you're someone who likes like in-person services like that, like going to infrared saunas in person, which is very much more of a New York, LA, big city thing. Um, but again, if you don't live in one of these places and want to get into it, um, another reason to get it, but it does pay for itself over time. We've had ours now for like a year and a half and I swear, like my husband and I each use it once or twice a week. So I don't know. Okay. I feel like that's pretty well amortized over the course of its lifetime. Okay. Um, a water filter for sure. Um, in terms of practices, I mean, I of course would say meditation. I actually think hypnotherapy is like the underrated cousin of meditation. It like requires, again, more investment because you would want to work with someone, but that's been something that's been really positive for me. Um, and I've been a lot of studies about hypnotherapy and IBS particularly. Yes, Yes, it is just as effective as the low FODMAP diet for limiting IBS symptoms. Yes. And I, I think it's because not, it's a really fine line because so many women, as you said before, get told that like their problems are all in their head. But at the same time, like stress and anxiety really do cause a lot of our problems. It is a fine line for and sure. And the mind is so powerful. So kind of what I've discovered in hypnotherapy is like, it is not important at all for you to believe any of the things you're telling yourself or like any of the quote unquote trances that you're being put in. Like just hearing the language and the imagery and being forced to go there, like is doing so much on a subconscious level that like. It's just like the work is being done for you. And eventually like it is like medicine going to take hold. That's interesting.
0: I do have a whole episode on hypnosis um, with Grace Smith. If anybody's interested in exploring hypnosis more, I used it for my fear of flying and I found it really, really helpful. Um, And you can do it online, virtually all of that. And usually if you work with a practitioner, they'll give you recordings so you can listen Mm -hmm. to them later and kind of get more bang for your buck. Okay. I feel like that was three. What's three things that you think are super (laughs) overhyped in the wellness
1: world? Oh my God, so many things. I mean, like every like bespoke like food. (laughs) Like, I'm okay, kombucha. I'm sorry. Oh no, I know. I think everybody just likes it because they exactly because it tastes like soda. soda. Yeah, that's totally fine. Drink it, but it's not like that much healthier for you. It's healthier for you than soda. Of course, it's healthier than soda, but it's very acidic. And again, like, Because it's bubbly, I think for IBS folks, it's just like not the best choice. Um, and you're just like not actually doing that much for like your gut microbiome
0: with it. Like you're not so that well, that's why people drink it. They're like, oh, it's fermented, so it's good bacteria. And you don't think those good bacteria are like colonizing anything or making any positive changes? No, I would actually
1: let's let's expand the category to probiotics as a whole. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's obviously efficacies, but kind of the layman's probiotic is not going to do that much. Prebiotics, however, are amazing. Um, prebiotics are the key. Um, why? Why? Can you explain why? Yeah. So kind of the analogy that I like for them is um, probiotics are like buying expensive fertilizer. And then if you're just, if you're not doing other things in your diet it's like not watering the plants. So you can buy you can douse your garden with as much expensive fertilizer as you want but like if you're not going to water the plants it just doesn't matter. So I would say step 1 is always just to water the plants and see how you do. Um and the prebiotics are kind of again like the foods that your gut bacteria thrive on. It's what's honestly removed in the low FODMAP diet for the most part like inulin would be amongst them, but there are different types of prebiotics that you can add to your diet that may not have, that may be better tolerated than just probiotics, sorry, prebiotics in foods, um, for the IBS set. One of them is called, um, partially hydrolyzed guar gum. It's actually, um, been studied a lot in conjunction with SIBO, both as like a treatment and as, you know, something to kind of catalyze, um, more, like a healing of the kind of general imbalance afterwards. Um, so that's kind of what I add to my diet often. Um, but yeah, I think in general, just focusing more on prebiotics and that can mean any vegetables that you tolerate, just like eat vegetables and don't worry so much about like the expensive probiotic pills. Okay. More overrated? Um. Oh my gosh. I mean, there are just so many crazy things that we do in this wellness. What do you think of celery juice? Oh my God. Sorry. Yes. Top of the list. Top of the list. I always get, whenever
0: I come out against celery juice, I get a lot of hate and a lot of people who just share their anecdote about how celery juice is, you know, it's cured their skin completely. It's cured their gut. They feel so good. And I'm like, have you tried drinking? The same amount of water.
1: Yeah. Well, honestly, I mean, there's an analogy to the kombucha. Like, of course, if you're switching your diet coke for kombucha, like, (laughs) it's better for you. Of course, if you're like switching your egg McMuffin for celery juice in the morning, that's a huge step in the right direction. But it's not the celery. It's like the fact that you're putting something green in your body first thing in the morning, and it'd be much better to just like eat some celery, (laughs) like eat any vegetables. Um. So you have the fiber. Yeah. So you don't like
0: the idea of like flooding your body with nutrients that people talk about with juicing.
1: I'm yeah, I would put juicing kind of in its own bucket as well, which is again, not to say that if you have a, a, a juice habit and it makes you feel good and you're, it's loving on you, that's great. Um, I just like could never get behind it as a habit because of how much it costs, like just to like fill the fridge with that much, that many vegetables. Like I was like, I'd much rather save all this space for like things I need to cook. Like, I don't understand how people juice every day and still have room in their fridge to make dinner. I also don't understand. (laughs) Like, it just feels like if you can,
0: I mean, you know, and everybody knows that I'm like a huge smoothie fan and I'm just like, if you can keep the fiber in, why would you not? Like, it makes you full. It's good for your gut. Like, why are we getting rid of one of the healthiest parts of the food? Yeah.
1: I'm a big, like, Green soup, you're a green smoothie. I'm a green soup girl. There's this like green detox soup in the book that is just like my like personal like health elixir um I just yeah again, it's like a warming food. it's broken broken down all the vegetables for you um, but I of course am much more of a smoothie girl over a juice girl too but my my higher like be um, soup ju- smoothie juice because it's cooked, right. And what about
0: bone broth or collagen, like things that kind of are designed or that are talked about as sealing leaky gut? Yeah,
1: I don't think they're overrated. I think it's always best to kind of cook slash eat your nutrients. So the collagen powders, like, I don't know um, where I fall in them. I do think though, like, you know, some people who have a damaged system, like the more you can add, the better. I think L-glutamine is way more effective than collagen overall, like in terms of supplementing and in powder form, and that you can just add to like your, your smoothie or soup or, I mean, don't add to your juice. Too. Um, but you can- And that would be to kind of help seal yeah, a leaky that's gut that's another lining. leaky gut powerhouse. You can also, the best source of L-glutamine is cabbage. So if there's one thing you're going to juice, maybe it's cabbage into into yeah, that. Yeah, because I don't know any other way I'd want to yeah, consume Yeah, but it. you can buy now- um, like kind of kraut brine. So, if there's any probiotic food, if there are probi- the probiotic foods that I stand behind are actually yogurt. Um there's actually a lot of good evidence behind like specifically like full fat dairy yogurt. Um and then like sauerkraut or anything involving cabbage because again, you're going to get the benefits of the L-glutamine and you have like a built-in pro- prebiotic in addition to the fermented aspects.
0: Mm. Yeah, I do. I actually like to keep some kraut in my fridge and I just have like a few spoonfuls a day. Yeah. Um, sometimes when I'm like craving sugar, I find that it's really mm. something about the taste of it. I don't know. It literally no, stops sugar the cravings the L, and it's it tracks. L-glutamine.
1: I think L-glutamine oh. has, yeah, it's like if you're hungry or like have some sort of craving, like L-glutamine can actually help. Don't quote me on that. Cause I learned that many years ago, so I have to fact check it, but. I think that's a, a, a hack. <laughs> Interesting. I like that as a hack.
0: You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. Red light therapy is one of those things that keeps being cited as a favorite tool of so many of the world leading doctors on this podcast. It is an absolute game changer for your skin. It reduces scars, stretch marks, blemishes, and it boosts collagen, and it stimulates hair growth for healthier, thicker hair. It also reduces inflammation at a cellular level, which is why I don't like to just expose my face to it. I like to go whole body for maximum energy and healing. That's why I love Bond Charge's Max Red Light Therapy device. It's a panel that you sit in front of at home. I use it while I'm meditating, which is such a good habit stack. And you get those full body benefits in addition to the skin benefits. Also, by the way, you have skin on your whole body. It has made as much of a difference in the sun damage on my chest as it has on my face. And it comes with protective eye goggles, which is so important. I have personally noticed a huge difference in my skin, but also in my mood. It makes me happier and calmer. And most importantly for me, this is something I've been working on a lot recently, in my energy levels, which makes sense given red light's positive impacts on our mitochondria, the energy centers of our body. And because you're in front of the panel impacting your whole body, you're going to feel a way larger effect. You need to try the wellness tool that doctors are raving about order the Bond Charge Max Red Light Therapy device and start experiencing the amazing benefits today. For a limited time, my listeners get 15% off when you order from bondcharge.com and use my exclusive promo code, LizMoody at checkout. While you're there, grab some of the circadian rhythm setting light bulbs. Yes, those are real. Yes, they're very cool. They're the ultimate addition to your daily Cirque Walk. That is B-O-N-C-H-A rge.com. You'll also get free shipping and a 12 month warranty. Go now to get this exclusive offer. That's a bondcharge.com with promo code Liz Moody to get 15% off. I feel like everyone pretty much knows by now that I don't drink caffeine. And one of the top questions I get is what do you do instead for energy? People are very, very concerned. And while I have a few things on my list, getting enough sleep in the first place, meditating, keeping my blood sugar stable, one of my top tricks is the Organifi Red Juice. It has absolutely no caffeine, only 2 grams of sugar, and it does wonders as a jitter-free pick-me-up. I can hear you asking, how, Liz? How does it work? Well, I will tell you. There are 13 100% organic superfoods in the blend, including beets, freeze-dried berries, that's where the small amount of sugar comes from cordyceps, Siberian ginseng, reishi mushroom, and rhodiola. All of these plants are powerful in their own right. Cordyceps is a type of mushroom that's incredibly energizing. Siberian ginseng is an adaptogen found in Asia that's been found to increase mental alertness and acuity. Reishi is another mushroom that gives you this very clear, anxiety-free boost. And rhodiola promotes physical endurance and increases mental clarity and focus. But together, They give you the most amazing feeling, kind of like you get post-meditation, grounded and calm, but alert, focused, and ready for action. I'll often do a scoop in the morning when most people would reach for their cup of joe, and then I also love it when that 2.30 slump rolls around. It perks me right back up so I can get back to being productive and enjoying every possible moment of my day. And did I mention that it tastes so good? It's gently sweet and tastes like actual berries at their best, which makes sense since Organifi only uses the highest quality freeze-dried ingredients for optimal benefits. Organifi has a ton of other products. Zach loves their green juice, which has matcha, moringa, spirulina, chlorella, wheatgrass, and more. And they have a hormone-balancing hot chocolate, which like, hello, sign me up. I've looked into their sourcing practices, and I am confident when saying that the ingredients in their blends are among the highest quality around. Of course, I have a code for you. You can go to www.organifi.com slash healthier together and use the code healthier together for 20% off your order. Again, that's organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, no Y, organify with an I at the end, dot com slash healthier together, and the code is healthier together for 20% off. I cannot wait for you to try the Red Juice. So definitely shoot me a message and let me know what you think. Okay, let's talk about your relationship for a a second. How do you think all of your um, health issues have impacted your relationship? Do you think there's things that Charlie has struggled with or that he's done really well as a partner of somebody dealing with all of this?
1: Yeah, it was funny. I was like really thinking back. I had a long drive earlier today and I was thinking back to kind of the year that we met and like the state of things. Um, It's definitely like a narrative theme in my book, The Wellness Project, um, because I certainly struggled with Charlie at the beginning. Um, And mostly it was my own struggles, like trying to be the cool girl and like not feeling like I could authentically like be my my healing journey self in front of him because he is like a tried and true hedonist. But yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I don't think anyone's going to like heal on their own or make any habit changes on their own until they're ready. Like it took many, many years of me, like kind of modeling certain behaviors for Charlie to, to want to adopt any of them himself. But of course, you know, my eating habits have like a halo effect at home if I'm the one who's primarily cooking. Um, but I, it was really tough in the beginning, like in my in my 20s. Um, once we got into the 30s, life <laughs> still started to change. Um, he got more on board and quarantine. Oh, my God. He's lost so much weight. He's like withering away. He's riding his stationary. He bought one of those like... Um, this would be one of his like least underrated, like the best purchases. And I have to second it just because he loves it so much, but he got one of those, um, like adapters for your physical bike. So you can make it into a stationary bike at home. Oh, that's cool. And it's like great for New York city apartments because you can just break it down and like put it under the bed. So there's no like ugly Peloton in your living room.
0: So was there like tools you gave him or ways that you were able – people always ask me for Zach, like how do I help him help me with my anxiety? And I never know what to tell them. Um, And I'm curious if you would – if you've done anything with Charlie that that would be helpful for other people in the same situation.
1: Oh, my gosh. I actually think – This is a hard one to translate to mental health, but getting him more involved in my doctor's appointments, I think was important. And I also think that's a really great hack for anyone dealing with chronic illness and just like really overwhelming medical issues is like, it's really helpful to have a buddy in the room with you. I actually dragged my best friend with me to the doctor um, early on before Charlie and I started dating is actually ironically the friend that introduced us, but you know, just getting a partner in the room, someone who's just like, I don't know, less. <laughs> not that your partner is going to be any less emotionally invested, but these are emotional conversations a lot of the time. Um, I felt like any time I was like receiving health news was not like triggering, but it was just like I don't know, I was. In a heightened emotional state, and it's helpful to just have someone who's a little bit more detached there to ask follow up questions on your behalf. um Charlie, in particular, is like a terrible question asker, but just like having him there, you know, to to hear things firsthand without my regurgitating them, I think um kind of like so- like it makes it exactly. more. Real I was to say it solidifies the reality of the situation for him. For him, interesting. You
0: guys have such a like I think I think you have a lot of relationship tools even outside of the chronic illness category. Like you've you guys have said stuff that you've done in your relationship that like Zach and I have stolen. Wait, and I feel like you they? did I like have no idea. <laughs> there like, um oh, one thing is you guys have like a silly name for each other and when stuff like it's oh, like a designated a safe word. name that makes you <laughs> Yeah. That makes you laugh. So if you're in the middle of an argument, it's escalating. You can kind of say this silly thing. And I feel like, do you either, I don't know if you've like done something that you've paid for that was a couple's workshop, or you just have like an older couple who's like geniuses that help you in your relationship? Or is it both?
1: both? Yeah, we've paid them. No, okay. we have um, okay. we have mentors um, who are this couple, sadly, um, the husband who is a very close friend of ours and someone that Charlie worked with, um, in a career capacity passed away, but him and his wife, um, they're both coaches and they both do a lot of like couples work, not as like relationship, um, therapists or anything like that, but just in helping you kind of come up with your, your dream future. And so we did like kind of a one day workshop, um, with my friend Debbie on this and a lot of their tools that they've learned in their relationship is like things that have trickled down to their clients like us. And just like through friendship is just like trickled down. We only like worked with Debbie officially that one time, but she was the one who had us come up with some of those safe words. Um, so it was actually, it was more specific than that. Like we were kind of like identified, like the the circumstances that were like very triggering to each of us. And like one of them, I'll give an example because it's really dumb, but like Charlie is, a, he's not a bad driver, but he is a scary driver to me. A lot of the time he's like, definitely, um, a why I'm, why why am I blanking the word when you get too close to the car in front of you tailgater, um, tailgater. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when he gets too close to the car in front of him, I get very nervous. And, um, but then like, you know, it, it's so annoying to have the person, in the driver's seat be like, ah, cause then it like makes you freak out. So we came up with a code word around that toot, toot, beep, beep. Uh, <laughs> so now I say toot, toot, beep, beep. And like, you know, it's like a friendly way to be like, slow the fuck down. <laughs>
0: Like this is impacting yeah, me, even if it's not impacting exactly. you. And I think that's what a lot about of couple stuff is about is being like, even if this doesn't feel like a big deal to you, you need
1: to recognize that it's a big deal yeah. to me. Um,
0: Are there any other
1: like yeah, tools that you could? we have a couple of new ones yeah, that I'm excited about. Okay. Um, so actually in the vein of like, this is actually like a SIBO tip, but I've gotten really interested again in some of the th- the everyday things that you're like, why do you do this? Um, and saying grace before a meal is one of them. I'm not a religious person at all, but if you think about it, it is like the perfect way that people ground themselves and like drop into, you know, rest and digest mode and just like kind of I think transitions are really important, and I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and it's a really good transition to get your body physically ready for a meal. Um, and I think so often, you know, we're obviously like so often not eating mindfully, eating in front of the television, in front of our laptops. But I think at the very least, if we can build in that transition, it's really important. So we, um, just do our gratitude before dinner. So we'll each say three things that we were grateful for that day. Um, and then, yeah, it's like, then we're not just like shoveling food in our mouth as soon as we get our plate. I love that. I also love that. Like
0: there's the ideas around habits that like habit stacking makes your habits more successful. And I've been trying to build in a gratitude practice forever. And it's usually me like, as Zach is falling asleep, being like, Hey, tell me three things you're grateful for. And him being like, I'm asleep, go away. Um and I love the idea of stacking it with the obvious habit that we all have which is eating.
1: Yeah food. and it's also And then it has the Yeah. No, I mean, we definitely are guilty, especially this past year of like eating in front of the television. Like we eat in front of the television every night for the most part, but at least we have this now like five minute catch up right before we do that. Mm -hmm. And it's a nice way to like also just be forced to kind of fill in each other on the day because you inevitably like, you know, we'll mention something and then, you know, if he's like, oh, I'm grateful because like I sold ex-painting today. I'm like, oh, tell me about, you know, like, oh, I didn't realize that. Like, how's the show going? Like, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes Mm. just as couples, especially when there's like no built-in like events anymore, like you just forget to like even fill each other in on the simplest stuff. I mean, you forget about the simplest stuff that's happened to you in a day because it all blends together at this point. Um, Well, and you like kind of loosely mentioned rest and digest, but I do think as
0: you talked about earlier, the way that you eat your food, I think we talk about it very casually, but the way that you eat your food has huge health oh, yeah. repercussions as much, as you said earlier, as what
1: you're eating. So I think dropping into
0: that state is so yeah. important. And
1: there are certain tools. Um, I don't know if there's like a cheaper one. I do know there's there's one company that makes like kind of expensive ones, but there are certain heart rate monitors that can literally tell you. If you're in sympathetic or parasympathetic mode and there are doctors that for SIBO people recommend that, especially in the process of reintroducing foods, because I think that a lot of people have <laughs> symptoms when they reintroduce that are like self-fulfilling prophecies that are based on like emotional reactions and not actually like a digestive reality. <laughs> That's so interesting. Okay. Give me more, a couple tips. Um, Okay. Well, so another thing that we do since, I don't know, we're like still in the beginning part of the year. Um, that's from my friend Debbie as well as, um, every, Oh, actually we have a lot of like new year's type <laughs> traditions. So we do predictions every year instead of res- resolutions because they're way more fun. Um, so we'll just like come up with like 12 questions and it can be anything from like politics to like, Oscars or Super Bowl winners to like how many places will we visit? Like how many, like where we, we always we always guess where we'll be um New Year's of the following year. Oh my god, that's fun. And like so things fun. like that. I mean, back at certain points in life, we'd be like, who's gonna get engaged? Like who's gonna have a baby? But now it's just like too much. Every so yeah, for yeah, me, everybody. it's literally
0: this year is like who's gonna have a baby?
1: Literally, everybody. everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's like you can't even what we just <laughs> all win, like be like, yes, all of them. Uh but that's really fun. And then we started a few years ago doing this exercise that Debbie taught us called timeline. And we, this year was really hard to do it, but you basically just go through your like Google calendar and write down like all of the little things that were fun. Like it could be like, you know, a coffee date with a friend, like even like something as small as that. Um, but you write down like all of the kind of like spark joy moments and then you go back through and you kind of like star the ones that like really stood out. And then it's, I think really indicative of like what you actually want more of the following year. So you can make some like More profound goals. I'm not into resolutions at all, but like goals, like oh, like I had the most fun when we went to the theater that night. Like this was actually the past year, um, 2019. I was like, oh, more movies, more theater. (laughs) Like I'm gonna. This is gonna be
0: my year of concerts. Like I got (laughs) into live music last year, and I was like, I'm gonna go to. I went to Maggie Rogers in November and like a Leon concert, and I was like, next year I'm gonna finally splurged some money on concert tickets.
1: Us too. I literally had never bought more tickets in my life to anything (laughs) than I did this spring. So (laughs) such a bummer, but I was like, why am I not investing my money here? Like more than restaurants, like this is what I want to spend my money on. It's so fun. It's like such a fun fun. experience. Totally. For sure. So So, yeah, that's what Timeline taught me in 2019. And then in 2020, it was like wild because I literally think there was more things on the calendar in January than they were for the entire year combined. And well, so did you learn stuff during yes. the timeline in 2020? Yes. I was like, I cannot believe I lived my life the way I did in January. I was like, I would drop dead if I had to do this many things in a week. So that was like, you know, eye-opening. And then we kind of had to go to like our um camera roll for the, like for the seven months um, in between, because we had like literally nothing on the calendar. And we were like, we had like outdoor cocktails with like X, Y, and Z. And like, it's not on the calendar anywhere. Like we have to go through the camera roll. Um, But it still actually, you know, I, I say I'm better at this than Charlie is. I think most women are, but like, I had like scheduled zoom dates for a while with like, um, small groups And it was still, I think, indicative, and all timelines, I think, are indicative of this, like who you actually spent time with that year. And like time can be virtual time too. Um, But also just like by way of the pandemic, I was like, oh my God, like we saw like our neighbors probably more than we saw like anyone else. Like, you know, it's kind of like, it was like circumstance that really brought people together. And then it was just like who did I actually make time to like keep in touch with?
0: Um, Right, I think that's so fast. And I don't think it means that the people you don't make time to keep in touch with aren't like your friends or anything, but I do think it's interesting to figure out what sort of role different friendships play in your life. And I was able to learn a lot about my friendships in that way over the past year.
1: But you also forget too, because it's like, I don't know, we all have our, our histories, like in our webs of friends that like we just are, tied to over time. Um, of course, some of us at this age have like gotten rid of the toxic ones over time, but like, you know, we're still holding, holding on to, you know, people who we have histories with. And I think when you like really spell it out for yourself in terms of like who you're actually investing time with or who actually like that you're investing time with sparks joy, it can be really clarifying. And then it's like, you don't have to feel guilty. You're like, Oh no, like this person's my best friend now. And like, I'm just like (laughs) going to go all in. Well, I think that the way you're spending time too a huge
0: realization Zach and I've had are like the friends that we need to like go out and get drunk with to have fun versus the friends that we just have fun on a Zoom date or things like that. And that's been really revelatory for us. Okay, I want to fit this in in our remaining time. I have like a zillion more things to talk to you about, which maybe I should have you. I will also say we've been
1: playing poker this year, just the two of us. And it's really fun.
0: (laughs) Can you play poker
1: with two people? Absolutely. I didn't even okay. know how to play poker before this year. I learned in quarantine. And Did
0: Charlie teach you? Because you might yeah. not trust those rules. Like, he I might know,
1: be. We, we had to do some print. <laughs> like, I had to have, like, a printout um, for the first little bit. I know now. But whole um, house is
0: good. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, doing activities together, that's huge for me and Zach, yeah. too, is it's, like, it's so much easier to just watch TV at night, but on the nights that we, like, break out a game or do anything out of the ordinary, it feels so much, totally. so much better. Okay. This is the thing. The last thing I kind of want to talk to you about before I get into my questions that I ask everybody is something that I'm fascinated about, about you. I think you'll probably be able to guess what it is. It's the thing I was most jealous of you about until I um, talked to you about it, which is your childhood and who you were raised by. (laughs) Um, Because it's, I was raised by two very nice psychologists. um, (laughs) And it was fine. But then when I started to go off and try to have a creative career, I literally had no roadmap for it. And I didn't have anybody in my life who knew how to do it. And they, my parents were supportive, but it's always in that way of like, Oh, tell, tell me how that works. Um, and you were not raised like that. So can no. you tell me a little bit about maybe like who your parents are and how you were raised?
1: Yeah. So they're both creatives, um, like kind of prolific creatives, I would say. Um, my mom is a screenwriter. That's like how she made like her money. Um, growing up, she also has made a bunch of documentaries and directed movies. Like she's just, And written novels, like she is just like a renaissance woman of creativity. And my dad is primarily a theater director, but also is a playwright and has written movies and directed movies, too.
0: Can you drop like a few names just because they are like impressive?
1: Yeah, he's done a lot of musicals that um, one might have heard of. Uh, Into the Woods probably be the most um, well-known in like, you know, you probably did that at your high school kind of way. Um, and yeah, Sunday in the park with George. Um, yeah, I think those are the two most
0: iconic. So you would like describe like that when you were a kid, you'd like come downstairs and your parents would have all of these like really known famous creative people like over at a dinner party or also like weird subjects of your mom's documentaries over at a dinner party or stuff like that. that And that feels more more (laughs) notably. I, that feels so cool. And especially picturing it in like a New York apartment, which I don't know if you knew this, but I like pretended I was from New York in high school. And like, I just <laughs> dreamed of this. I, I reverse manifested a New York life for myself. Um, and it just felt like the coolest thing ever. And the way that you talk about it doesn't I'd love to hear, like, basically what you think was good about being raised with those sort of creative uh, what's the word like examples and what was less good that people like me who idolize it from the outside might not see.
1: Yeah. So as you said, obviously a pro would be that I grew up with, you know, the creative example laid out, but both in like, I'd say like there were some cons to that as well. Um, looking back, I know that I was incredibly privileged and I know that probably for my entire life, both my parents were already successful in their fields and like financially successful to a certain extent. Um, but certainly growing up in New York, really jaded me at the time to that. Cause I had some just extraordinarily wealthy friends, first and foremost. But then second, I think my parents were always anxious about money because it's still the freelance life. So, you know, I'd say probably, you know, like growing up, there were a few shows that my dad had that, Were successful in that he probably got like some residuals from them annually, but other than that, there's just just still as like a creative and a freelancer, like no stable income, like per se. Like my mom was the main breadwinner as a screenwriter for many years, but when she, as she reminded me, also growing up, like once she became a woman of a certain age, like those jobs just dried up. Even for screenwriting, I mean, I assume for like on screen stuff, but for I don't think that's true for everyone, but that was very much her experience. That's really interesting. And And I think that's probably a bit different now. Um, But yeah, you know, I think I think her whether or not that's why her jobs dried up. I don't know. My mom's incredibly talented, so I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to give her work. But, you know, I think probably earlier on, there was only so many slots for women. Now there's like, you know, more of a quota to like ensure that the voices are a bit more diverse. But, um, yeah, I guess she just saw like being an aging woman as a strike against her. So, you know, luckily kind of my dad was able to pick up the slack as the years went on because in the theater, um, well, and in movies to a certain extent too, but in the theater like the residuals are really interesting. And I I don't have like numerical associations in my head, but like anytime a high school puts on a production of a show, they have to pay for it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, That's they have to I don't can't I don't know the terminology, but like they have to buy the scripts like huh. and like and not just from rights. like the New York Street Corner in no, Soho. No, it's like <laughs> they have to buy it from like these companies that like sell the rights to local productions. Interesting. Okay. So even though like
0: with that, where even very successful creatives were having this sort of financial insecurity or I guess not even if if it's insecurity, but it's also, I think probably just like this financial, the negative psychology element, which I know I struggle with in the freelance career of being like, even if I feel flush, not knowing if I'll feel flush the next year messes with my brain. and even having that demonstrated for you your whole life, you were like, that sounds good. I'm gonna do that.
1: Yeah. Well <laughs> I left college and got a corporate job, um, which was like, this is the con side is that my parents were just like what is that? Um, they did not understand at all. I like went to. I had that's lo- so funny. Lots of years of liberal arts education, and when senior year came around, this was 2007, so it was like right before things got really hard for people. But you know, I was like, okay, like, what do I do? Like any creative job I want to get, like working for like a studio, a film studio in LA, like those jobs don't recruit on campus. And like those jobs hire and like you start on Monday. So I was like, well, I think I should just like apply to a job, like, you know, to have that experience. So I literally applied to like the one marketing job, like that recruited at the career fair, like it was like the one job that wasn't finance or consulting. And it was, um, a marketing position at L'Oreal. And of course it was like the job that all the ambitious girls wanted. And because I gave zero fucks, of course I got the job, um, (laughs) which I still marvel at because like so many of my friends who are like titans of industry now, (laughs) (laughs) Didn't get the job and I did. And so you got that job and your parents
0: were like, literally, what are you doing with your life?
1: Also, I like they weren't, they didn't prepare me for that process. So I remember I had my final round interview in New York and I had to like take the Acela down. Um, and my friend who went on to become a Titan of industry and was applying to all the finance jobs. She was like, what are you wearing? And I was like, um, I was thinking like my black, like skinny jeans and like this sweater. And she was like, um, a what? She's like, no, like you have to wear a suit. I was like, what? She was like, you have to wear a suit, Phoebe. I was like, I don't have a suit. So, literally, this is the night before I like called my mom. And because it's New York, luckily she was able to like get to a retail store at like 8 p.m. And she just bought me like a suit off the rack. And luckily it fit. And I wore it the next day with the tags on and then returned it. <laughs> but like, you know, my parents were not at all helpful for that sort of thing. And once I got the job, they were like, what? Yeah. They, they didn't really understand. And then this was, you know, a conversation I remember really well. One of the times that they did have all their like cool creative friends over for dinner, they asked me like how my, my corporate job was going. Mm. And this woman said to me, she goes, well, like, what do your parents think of this? And I was like, I don't know. They like seem pretty supportive. Like they seem like happy that I'm, you know, doing something different. And she said, well, that couldn't possibly be true. And so that, you know, has stuck with me. But then I I left the corporate job, probably because that stuck with me. And Did you feel like they were like more...
0: Proud of you. I actually talked to your dad a lot at your book launch oh. for a Wellness Project because I love dads. If there's a dad in the room, I'm like, yeah. come <laughs> hang out with me. Like, do you think he was more proud when you were finding success in that sort of creative way? Because that's a, yes. a realm they understood. Yes,
1: absolutely. And like, they're creative. So there's a certain level of narcissism at play as well. Um, like, you know, f- f- going into the family business is always. <laughs> Like, I'm curious
0: as somebody who has had such a strong model and also, you know, like I know a lot of your friends are very successful in creative industries and now you yourself are very successful in a creative industry. You're a thrice thrice author now, right? Thrice. Um, which is cool. Uh, <laughs> and is there and I think a lot of people really glamorize the creative arts. And I know that I did before I was in it, which is why um I was like, Oh, the way you were raised is so cool. Cause I think I found out about that even before I had found success in a creative job more so. And is there something that you would say to people who wanted to work in the creative industry, like things that you've learned from yourself, from your friends, from your parents that maybe people might not know from the outside? Oh
1: gosh. I mean, it's a, it's really hard work. Like you have to sit down and like, even when you're not feeling creative, like commit to like going to work every single day. Um, and then there's always going to be like really unglamorous sides to it. Like there's, I think book writing has way more unglamorous sides than what my parents do. Like they are not, and not by way of like age or like, I don't know the time that they enter the industry, but just like even today, the projects that they do, like they are not responsible for marketing and PR at all for books like that entirely rests on the author's shoulder. My dad's actually coming out with a book, um, his first book in May and it's like the the process has like boggled his mind. And like he said to me he's like I have so much more appreciation for what you do. Has now. he come to you for advice on he like kinda, how to get it out there? Not that part cuz you know what, he's lucky. He'll like make a few calls and I'm sure like we'll get like a profile in the New York Times. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm like, you know, begging everyone to let me on their podcasts and like feeling like really, this is the biggest win right here, right now. Who needs the New York Times? This is better than the New York Times. (laughs) Um, No, I think it was more just like the pace of things that he really struggled with. And then also just like not being like, your publisher is like, not really like, it's not a collaborative process in a lot of ways. Like he just felt like he was like alone in a room, like, and he's used to like very collaborative mediums, um, where like, you're just like constantly working in a team environment. Um, and I think, yeah, he felt it was really lonely. And also that just like, he never had the answers he needed. He's like, I have no idea when my book's going to come out. Like, (laughs) and what do you think? I think what you said about like, you have to just sit
0: and do the creative work is really important too. Like, I think a lot of people who don't do it as work assume you can kind of wait for inspiration to strike. And I think there's something really interesting about, no, you have to produce a certain output. And I think for me, for me, overcoming that hurdle was realizing that my output wouldn't always meet my own standards. And that was the thing that let me overcome that. But I'm curious if there's, What lets you do that? Like what lets you create creative stuff every day, even when you're not inspired?
1: Well, I'll say like to go back to like the cons of growing up with parents like this, like I had so many chips on my shoulder. I had so many creative just like blockages that were self-imposed. Like I wait, why? Like how so? Oh, I mean, I write books because I didn't want to I write nonfiction books because i did not want to dabble in any of my parents' mediums. And they they have a lot of mediums between the two of them. So that was not easy to do. It was like, I had to find my own way.
0: Well, and is that because you were worried your work wouldn't measure up? Was it worried because you you thought people would say this is nepotism at
1: work? What, what was the fear there? Um, the measuring up part, for sure. Um, I worry about nepotism no matter what. Like I worry about nepotism with like me writing like a SIBO book, like, like my parents did not You get to write the SIBO book because your dad
0: did Into the Woods. (laughs) The Into the Woods audience really overlaps with the SIBO audience.
1: (laughs) Um, anyway, those two things though are both things I've had to overcome just in my own work over the years. Um, meant like, in therapy. Um, but I like even in college was until this year, I was like terrified to like do anything that involved dialogue. Like I was just, I don't know. I was like, it was like too similar. I, I was just worried I wasn't gonna be good at it. And yeah, I was so dumb. Like it's much easier, honestly, than <laughs> what we write. I did. And then this year you wrote a screenplay, which
0: is really it's a really interesting lesson in making something available to your life that you told yourself that wasn't available to you. Is there something that you would like, was there something critical that helped you sort of take that leap or overcome that roadblock?
1: Yes. Well, I think just maturity and, you know, getting over my imposter syndrome and my current vocation and just like, I don't know, has a halo effect for other avenues and just like feeling secure enough in my career that like, I'm like, okay, like, I really want to do something different now. And each of my books have been really different from one another. Like, I think I'm just someone who like needs um, to mix it up all the time. Like, I couldn't just like keep, like, I'm not like Ina Garden. I couldn't keep writing the same book every single year. She's brilliant at it. That's like not my bag. I need to constantly be challenging myself in some ways, um, which, you know, leads to a lot of grief. But <laughs> <so>. <laughs> but maybe but more excitement, excitement too exactly so i think i finally got like finally reached the point this past year before this book came out probably because it was like so technical um and like science heavy that i was like i really need to try fiction and um what actually got me to physically like sit down and write the screenplay though was like a little online program that just like created accountability and it really taught me that like y- it is not about creativity. You just sit down and you write for two hours every single day and you will have a script. And then you can edit it later. Yes. And then it took me six months to sit back down and like do any of the edits. And I was just doing them this past weekend. It literally, yeah, I finished it almost a year ago and have yet to edit it. Um, so yeah, that was hard too, but I'm doing it.
0: Okay. This is my last question about sort
1: of the creative thing, but you've also
0: kind of done where you had private chefing and you had your core income and then you were pursuing these other sort of more passion projects on the side. And I have a lot of mixed feelings about the notions of side hustles and whether or not I recommend them to people who are pursuing creative class or creative careers. I really debate between being like having a stable Mm -hmm. source of income is the thing that lets you actually produce the work you want to produce. And on the other side, I worry that we're I guess telling everybody that they should almost like work themselves to the point of burnout, that you should have your normal job and you should have your side hustle and you should be working on these things at the same time. So I'm really curious as somebody who has kind of experienced both ends of having your creative career be your full career and be your side hustle. What are your thoughts on this? I hate
1: the term side hustle. Um. Like, what does that even mean? Like, which part's the side hustle? Like, I don't know. And why is it a hustle? Like, why isn't it just like an outlet or a passion or just like a fun project? Why is it a hustle? Anyway, I prefer like in terms of what I was doing with my private chefing and catering, I prefer the Marie Forleo BJ um, term, which is bridge jobs that to me like mm. has always spoken to me more as a freelancer. It's like not the idea that I, I think what you did was very cool, like, and probably easier to have just like a full-time job that allowed you like a little bit of extra time. Cause you were so good at it to do your own thing on the side. Um, for me, it was more like, I felt like I needed to have so many different jobs so that, you know, if shit hit the fan or, you know, if just my life constantly evolved that I would always have like one thing to count on. And that has proven to be so helpful for me. And the pandemic is like the ultimate examples. Like I was so lucky that I have all these different sources of income because there were years where private chefing and catering and private teaching were like the majority of my income. And even like, as I phased out of private chefing and, and catering, like the private teaching took over that. And literally at the beginning of 2020, I was like, you know what? I think it's finally time. I'm finally making enough money in these other, in these other buckets that I think I'm just going to like say no to teaching. And I would have had to anyway, because you know, the world changed overnight and that was just like an income stream that disappeared. And I really feel for my friends who, you know, had, just kind of like single stream businesses that just dried up overnight. Um, So for me, it's just like a bet hedging kind of thing. Um, And then also just, I just feel like it allows me to evolve a little bit easier to be more nimble.
0: It's so interesting. It sounds like stress reducing to not have all of your eggs in one basket, but it also sounds so stressful to like have to manage, you know, your course and, your books and like all of the things that it it sounds like a recipe for. Yeah. I mean,
1: I've been burnt out for a long time, but but it is like how (laughs) I haven't figured out another way to make a living. I don't know. I just haven't like, I have never wanted to go all in on Instagram. Um, I kind of have found myself over the last two years, like being able to go more all in on like my website, um, like through the ad revenue and through like affiliate stuff it, to be like a consistent chunk. Um, but, you know, on top of that, still, I I want to have like these other things. Um, so I've got my course and my eBooks and I still had teaching for a while. And now I kind of do a little bit of virtual teaching, but I don't know. I don't know. It's It's hard because when you decide to, of course when you eliminate one one of your many odd food jobs you are literally closing off an income stream and you have to be confident that like you're going to be able to make that up in the other things you're doing and some things just have like a threshold like with teaching and the private chefing like I could have made more money working myself to the bone but it's like it's my time it's not scalable to a certain extent unless I were to like build some sort of empire um luckily like with my website and the course, like it is scalable, but on the flip side of that, it's like, I can't really control how many people are coming to my site a month. I can't really control how many people are signing up for my course. Like I could invest in ads. I could do all these things, but you know, it's a little bit more, um, not necessarily correlated to the amount of time I put into it.
0: All right. I have a few questions that I ask everybody. Um, they're quick fire ish. I like to say, cause nothing yes. of this podcast is truly quick fire. Um, but let's start with, is there something that you've purchased
1: recently that's changed your life or made you healthier? healthier? Oh my God. Recently, like in quarantine, I mean, the sauna blanket was the quarantine MVP. Like that's for sure. Okay. This is a small one that goes in that category, but, um, I have a wonderful like bath tray that, can hold a book and a wine glass. (laughs) And it's like, whenever I like post pictures from my bath, people are like, where did you get that? It's like a cheapo thing. That's like bamboo off of Amazon, but it just makes the whole bath experience much more luxurious. I love that. Do you feel successful and why or why not? I actually do feel successful in the past year. It's really, I've like, feel like I've really emotionally come into to that feeling. Um, I don't know, like this book, I just had so much less imposter syndrome going into the book process. Like the wellness project, I legitimately like did not go full steam ahead and like pitching and like putting myself out there before it came out because I was so scared about like what people would think about it. And it probably took until like a year after it came out when I was like, damn it. Like, this is a really good book. Like I'm really sad that I didn't, I don't know that more people didn't read it. Um, not that it did bad, but like, you know, it just didn't, I don't know. I I don't think I, I think my own attitude about it in like the essential period where like momentum is formed definitely had something to do with it. Um, so I don't know. I think it's part of just like Having this many years under my belt and like really investing in the expertise. Um, I also will say, like, I really did not feel like a health expert when I wrote the wellness project. Like, I was pretty new into that side of the food world. And with SIBO Made Simple, like for better or worse, like I just like I, I've only been doing SIBO stuff for two years. And in that time, though, I've like <laughs> really built this accidental expertise that like, I actually do feel confident saying that I have this strange SIBO expertise.
0: I do think it's the two things about imposter syndrome is one to kind of recognize that like most people have it to some extent, even the people you perceive as incredibly successful, which kind of, you don't need to get rid of it all the way. But I also think to your point, one of the best ways to overcome imposter syndrome is just to learn so much about what you're talking about. Like, I think sometimes an imposter syndrome can be a really nice, almost like gut feeling guiding you towards maybe you don't have enough education in this subject. I think there's a lot of internet experts these days, kind of trying to be experts in fields before they are. And I think if you feel like you have imposter syndrome, one, maybe like give yourself a little bit of breathing room and, and, uh, grace with that. But two, maybe ask yourself is this something you are an expert in and and should you be giving people advice on that subject
1: yeah i will also say that like that is kind of what makes me feel successful i kind of always i've always pro- from an early age probably because of my parents like prolificness been like my goal in life is not to like be any one thing it's just to like get to a point in my career where i have like the clout and I don't know the gravitas to be able to like do whatever I want. So, if that's write a novel, write a screenplay like to have enough clout that like I can get those deals and make it happen. I don't think I'm I'm there to to some extent, but I do think internally I'm much more there and like believing in myself that I could produce these other things and I think I now realize that that is so much more important and like that's actually the true driver of success more so than just like I don't know, a platform for lack of a better word. I love that. What do you think is the best way to spend
0: 20 minutes every day in terms of living a healthier, happier life?
1: I think probably meditation or doing some sort of act of mindfulness because now for me, hypnotherapy has replaced my meditation.
0: Have you ever been somewhere in the world where you're like, the people who live here
1: really got it right in
0: terms of living a healthier, happier life?
1: Oh my gosh. Like I want to choose so many different places. Um, Okay. So I think I'm going to have to choose two, but the first one I would say would be Hydra in Greece, like kind of very much because of like the blue zone mentality. Like, you know, they're like old crusty men, like smoking their cigarettes, like, but there are no cars on the island. So like, it's teeny. Everyone has to walk everywhere. It's like fairly hilly. It's small. There's like nowhere to go. You're just like wandering around town. But I think that inherently, like everyone's just walking more and like into an old age, but it's also kind of this like posh, very touristy town. So I don't know. I it's not like <laughs> the blue zones where they're just like herding the goats every day. Um but I still think like Mediterranean cuisine, like Greek cuisine in particular is just like so pure and beautiful and simple. Um but I will say and you're going to like this one Slovenia is also up there. Um you know the cuisine in and of itself is not like stereotypically like healthy food. Like it's a lot of like, kind of like Hungarian, like shtetl for lack of a better word, shtetl food. Um, But then like kind of in, in more like, not upscale areas, but like more cosmopolitan areas. Like the food is so local and gorgeous. And even like kind of the pubs we went to and like really small towns, like they always had just like a fresh trout, like from the nearby stream. And more so though, like the healthy mentality I think is like, they're so outdoorsy there, like just the, the passion for outdoor activity. Um,
0: well, the oh, nature is like beautiful. so beautiful. And
1: I don't know, like the people there were just really nice and seemed happy. And I think partially there, it's because the country is such an interesting war-torn history. Um, there are certain parts of Slovenia that have been four different countries in the last, like in someone's lifetime, not even like the 90-year-olds, but like someone who's like our parents' age has lived in four different countries. And I don't know. I think like as horrible as that probably was for them at certain points in life. Um, I don't know. It's kind of how I see some of my friends' grandparents who are Holocaust survivors. Like it just for certain people, it does imbue like a YOLO like type of optimism. It can absolutely crush other people. But um I think I kind of saw that a little bit in Slovenia. Like it wasn't very much like a, it didn't feel like a hardened place. It felt like a happy place.
0: I'm so curious when this pandemic is over if if we're going to feel like that I know. Um, <laughs> or if like I'm I'm ju- or if we'll just forget about it and go back to normal or all, there's all the people who've just been normal the whole time or like yeah. I'm curious what the effect on the national psyche particularly in places that were hit very hard like the US um will be. I'm
1: very curious. I'm I'm with you. I I don't know. I don't know even personally. <laughs> emerge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. And
0: last one, what is one big mistake you made? And then finish us on one thing that you feel like you really got right. One thing you really nailed.
1: Oh my gosh. I forgot to prepare for this one, even though I should have known it was coming. Um, Okay. One mistake I made early on in my career, I kind of started my side hustle when I had my corporate job, which I started a food blog with my best friend from high school. And it did not end well for us, unfortunately. And I think there was just a lot of naivete about like what it takes to have a healthy partnership and a lot of communication that wasn't there. And like, frankly, like a lot of like contractual clarification that just never existed. So I think unfortunately, it's not like the meltdown of our relationship and our business, our friendship and our business relationship, like that wasn't necessarily the mistake. Cause I think that's very human, but, um, the big lesson that I learned from it was just, you know, about partnership and, you know, transparency and just, I don't know, communication, I guess in general. Um, and some, did that translate into you having a prenup
0: in your uh, marriage? No, we don't have a prenup. <laughs> Just in terms of like having everything really outlined that in a partnership, sure. that was where I, my mind
1: immediately yes, went to. I set Charlie's expectations very low from the, from the get-go. I told him I was never going to marry him. <laughs> I might not want children and like just really set, set the bar very low and then have now gone back and all <laughs> the things I said. We're married. Um, <laughs> one thing I got right, I mean, I think I've gotten my relationship right. You certainly make me feel like I've gotten my relationship right. You really, I think you guys are
0: like such um, a, a grown up healthy couple. Like, I think there's a lot of couples. They're just like, oh, they're couple goals. They live like this couple goals life. But you guys are really an example to me of like
1: what a grown up. See, healthy that means a lot. Someone like. had a lot of dysfunctional relationships <laughs> over the course of a lifetime.
0: But I also think you've done a lot of work. Like you've, I feel yes. like
1: you've done the work to deserve to get that almost, you know? Thank you. I will say what we've done right in our relationship is both of us going to therapy separately and together. Um, but like, honestly, the work that both of us do individually is way more impactful than I think we could do together.
0: Awesome. Well, BB, if people wanted to keep
1: up with your journey, where is the best place to find you? I have a website called feedmephoebe.com where you can find recipes. You can find like SIBO 101 info. Um, there's like a resources tab. You can go there and just click on SIBO. And then you can also find my podcast, which is SIBO made simple. So if you want to like really nerd out, um, you can go to that. And then if you want to check out the book, that is just SIBO And there's a little gut heal bootcamp freebie, um, for people who buy early, which I don't know is still right now. So, <laughs> go check that out if you're interested. <laughs> and Instagram, you're Phoebe Lapine. Yes, just my name, Phoebe Lapine. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. This was so fun. I love talking to friends.
0: I hope you loved this episode with Phoebe and you took as much information from it as I did. If there is anybody in your life who you think would benefit from the wisdom that Phoebe shared in this episode, I would so appreciate if you would share it with them. I'm thinking particularly anybody who struggles with gut health issues or SIBO or anything like that please just send them a link to the episode. I massively appreciate it and I'm sure that they will massively appreciate it as well. If you love this episode with Phoebe, I would so appreciate a quick rating or review on whatever podcast platform you listen to. It helps other people find the podcast and it just makes a really big difference. It's a great free way to show support to your favorite content creators. All right, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you taking the time to spend this hour and a half with me. It means the world to me and I can't wait to see you on the next episode of the healthier together podcast If you have dry skin, this is going to be your holy grail. I've loved, love loved the Osea Andaria algae body butter for years. It is so rich and creamy and lush, but it sinks right into your skin, and it makes your entire body feel moisturized and not greasy at all. I actually do not understand how it's so not greasy and yet so, so hydrating. As fall approaches, I'm leaning into mini spa energy, these micro-relaxing moments you can insert throughout your day. Because peppering your day with tiny bits of calm can have huge impacts on overall cortisol levels, on your anxiety, even how you sleep at night, and the smell of the body butter. Holy cow, it is pure spa energy. You get that like laying on the massage table, melting energy. It is phenomenal. I've gone through at least four tubs of this personally, and that is saying something because it lasts a long-ass time. A little bit goes a very long way. I also always keep extras on hand to give out as gifts. It uses ingredients that you would normally see in face care products like seaweed, ceramides, glycerin, which I am obsessed with for hydration and think is so underrated, amino acids, even a skin-identical moisture complex. Also, here is a little tip. If you want to amp up its hydrating power even more, put it on damp skin right after the shower to really lock in all of that moisture and hydration. Like all Osea products, it's formulated with real seaweed to take advantage of its nutrient-rich benefits like deep moisturization. It's also vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Osea has actually been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for over 27 years, and I personally absolutely love how everything is ethically tested and sourced. For clean body care that gives you skincare-level results, you've got to try Osea. And right now, we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code LizMoody at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order, and orders over $60 get free shipping. While you're there, get the body butter, of course, but I'm also obsessed with the Vegas Nerve Oil and Pillow Mist, both of which help so much with my anxiety. I love rubbing the oil on my hands and inhaling deeply before I meditate to make it feel more intentional and calming and grounding. You are going to want it all. Go to malibu.com promo code LIZMOODY.